This week on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, we're going to discuss something that changed a lot and had an anniversary recently at the end of July. Hi, I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And here on The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, we like to probe into little nooks and crannies in rock and roll history and really look at things. And that's what we're going to do today. Talking about the day that Dylan went electric at the Newport Folk Festival. As always, the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll is sponsored by our friends at Crook and I Brewery in the heart of Hatboro, pouring the cure for summer since 2014. Man, they are going overboard on the big board this summer at Crook and I. Let's talk a little bit about Robert Zimmerman and his ascension through the ranks at Columbia Records, right? He'd had albums out, and as he continued to record, he became one of the two main icons in the folk music movement of the early 60s. He and Joan Baez really dominated that. For years, Bob had been working on his songwriting and really practicing and rewriting and rewriting, and in those early folk songs in the 60s, you really hear his prowess as a songwriter and you feel his message in his music and i think being able to paint the pictures the way he does even in the early days and complement it so well with the right music just did wonders for him and really established him as an excellent songwriter and inspiring musician well, it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby Even you don't know by now And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby It'll never do somehow When your rooster crows at the break of dawn Look out your window and I'll be gone you're the reason I'm a traveling on, but don't think twice, it's all right. Well, that itinerant folk singer crossed paths with a very important folk festival. Started in the late 50s by George Wine, the Newport Folk Festival, and its sister festival, the Newport Jazz Fest, means so much to music in their areas. And that goes back to those early days. So by the time Dylan comes along, just a few years later, they're kind of looking for a guy like him. It could be a big draw, a big part, and a big voice, standing out maybe more than what had been going on in the very healthy folk duo trio type universe where that music was pop music. And the touring was pretty healthy for a while. Time ago, a crazy dream came to me. I dreamt I was walking in World War III. Went to the doctor the very next day to see what kind of words he could say. Said it was a bad dream. I wouldn't worry about it none, though. Them old dreams are only in your head. But Dylan and Baez, they were young talents, young voices, unto themselves that could influence a lot, and they were. So let's talk about Bob Dylan and the Newport Folk Festival because when they intersect in 1965, that's when the sparks fly. That's when the electricity gets turned on. Yes. And not everybody was happy about that. 
July 25th, 1965. Previous two years, Dylan had made his name with the folk crowd there at Newport, 63 and 64. He was a feature performer. And you can see why when you listen to the music that he put on stage for the faithful and the purists at Newport. This is called Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. Please play a song for us. Yes, we really got to talk about that night, July 25th, 1965, and what was going on then, both with Bob and in the world, because in the folk universe at large, a lot of artists and a lot of groups were feeling the press of the British invasion, of electric rock and roll, finding a new place to grab hold, and some of them weren't so sure that they liked it kept their cards close and didn't really, you know, expand to try to include anything that was beyond what the folk movement had been. I don't blame any of them. I respect many of them. But understanding doesn't mean I agreed with them when the booing began. And I always thought it was overstated, Marcus. But when you listen to the audio, it's clear there's a large portion of the audience that wants to be heard that they disapprove. Hearing the booing in the live videos was wild because my first listen through, I was like, wait, wait, there's a little bit, but I don't think there's that much. And then I listened to it again and a little louder and paid a little attention. And I was like, oh, there's really a lot of booing in there. But some of the things that I had read in Elijah Wald's uh, writing and a few other people's writing about this say that Sure, there were people booing because they were like, what the fuck is he doing going electric? How dare he? We are folk purists. How dare he go electric? Another reason they may have been mad is because they couldn't hear his vocals. His vocals may have been drowned out by the loud music because, I mean, he had the Paul Butterfield Blues Band underneath him, and they were kicking out some serious music and some serious volume during those three songs that he did that were electric, and they played hard. Once upon a time, you dressed so fine Through the bumps of dime in your prime Then you People call, send me where 
they played on the reaction got more intense maggie's farm into what was then his big top 40 single like a rolling stone right oh yeah and those sounded so good and another reason they could have been mad the crowd is because it was too loud for their ears and it made them hurt well where i'm headed with this is after three songs he does it takes a lot to laugh it takes a train to cry and kind of has enough of it and walks off, if you will. And that's when the booing gets the loudest. And a lot of people said it was the fact that the fans were there and wanted to hear him. They wanted to hear what he was playing. They wanted to hear more, and they were pissed that he went off after three songs. And eventually, he's coaxed back out, and he brings his acoustic guitar, and he plays It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, and Mr. Tambourine Man, right? Yep. Kind of appeases the beast that is booing him and, you know, plays along a little bit. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. I'm not sleepy, and there is no place I'm going to. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. In the jingle jangle morning, I'll come following you. And I guess it works out, but he'd done it. He'd broached the electric barrier at Newport and showed that the music that was being inspired by this new electric rock around them really was a thing to be reckoned with and something real. Mm -hmm. And the guys who were there with him to do this help to make it real it is essential that you get your levels for your for your instruments and for your amplifiers and get them into your heads Can I say by myself? mike bloomfield elvin bishop al cooper and a few of the other guys from the paul butterfield blues band jerome arnold and sam lay these guys were fucking players dude and from everything that i've heard they brought it on that stage that night no matter what the crowd was saying or not saying or no matter how they were acting they were just doing what they were there to do back bob and rock that shit well this historic and auspicious occasion marcus causes a little bit of a backlash look he'd already been in the studio making what was going to be highway 61 revisited when he went to do newport some of the guys were in the studio with him, like bloomfield and cooper 
Sam Lay played on the title track. So they're already in there with them, right? And then they go to Newport, and what happens there happens there. Some people, the sensitive artists, might fold, might, might not be so bold as Bob, whose response was, let's get back to the studio and finish this fucking record and show them what we got. And that's exactly what happened, and that changes a lot. I don't even know where to begin. I'm talking about the change, right? I know. That change eventually was going to happen as you listen back to some of his early albums. Uh, Bringing It All Back Home is a perfect example of that. It opens up with Subterranean Homesick Blues, and there's the electric guitar in that, and the Chili Peppers also do a cover of that on the Uplift Mofo Party Plan that's not too bad. But you have Maggie's Farm on the road again, Gates of Eden. So you have a feel for the direction that Bob is going in. He is obviously paying attention to the British invasion, what's going on there. And right after Mr. Tambourine and Man on this album is released, don't the birds uh, record it and release it more electrified as well? And that's released right before Bob Dylan plays the Newport Folk Festival. April 12th, you are correct, my man. Take me for a trip upon your magic swirling ship. All my senses have been stripped, and my hands can't feel to grip, and my toes too numb to step. Wait only for my boot heels to be wandering. I'm ready to go anywhere. I'm ready for to fade onto my own parade. Cast your dancing spell my way. I promise to go under it. Just did a quick look up there while the research team, you know, they're on vacation, right? <laughs> they got the summer off. Uh, yeah, it was released by the birds that April, and maybe it gave Bob an inkling what him getting electrified might sound like. Remember, it was released by Bob Dylan March 22nd, so that gave the band roughly 16 maybe 18 20 days to record and release their version of the song electrified one of the things that came from the book about the about the mamas and papas was that moment when john phillips walks into a bar and looks around and goes 
cannot believe I'm looking at fucking David Crosby and, and Roger McGuinn and somebody else, and they're sitting here in New York trying to play folk music. They can't get, they're so talented, and yet they can't get a you know, breakthrough. So that's kind of like right before this happens is what that whole scene was. Gotcha. I really think, like any other music scene, what was going on as the fusion of rock and folk began was the idea that we're doing some different things here, so things are going to be different. And I think the mindset is certainly inside the birds was, hey man, we're trying shit, we're going to see where this goes. And it turned out, the symbiosis between Bob Dylan songs and the birds was a beautiful thing. You know, that also led to a lot of other people playing his music, but there's that one, two, three step up to that date, July 25th, 1965. You can really connect the dots on that. Leading up to that, all the things, the Beatles, his own songs being covered by other bands with electric stuff. Uh, and there were a lot of people covering different Bob Dylan songs all over the place. By that point, he was already who he was going to be, but he was really. <laughs> You think about it, still at the beginning of his journey, even as he changed the world by plugging in and pissing off people at Newport. Great stuff. That is fantastic how he uh, upset people because he went electric. Ah, I just love it. Tell you what, let's kick back, reflect on that, have a cold one, and get back to it as we look at the implications of Dylan going electric and all the things that flowed from that. Next on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Summertime is here, and it's time to get in and spend some time with your friends at Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro. They're right there, just off York Road on Montgomery Avenue. And what goes on in the summertime, Marcus, you know you've been there when the doors are up and uh, the windows are open. Yeah, you get a nice little breeze running through the bar, and you get all these tasty beers to try. And being that it's summertime, the summer beers are out. And don't forget the Salty Vets Barbecue. They've got cocktails. That's right. Craft cocktails from Pennsylvania distillers. Wine, you need it. You want some cider? They got that. Take a growler home or a gift certificate for a friend who loves Crooked Eye. But stop by anytime. You can find their calendar on their Facebook page. There's always something going on. Of course, the Crooked Eye Band's there the second Saturday of every month. Come out and have a brew and make a new friend because that's part of what goes on when you visit Crooked Eye Brewery. Pouring the cure for what ails you since 2014. Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Marcus, let's get some killing done down on Highway 61. Bob Dylan on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. We're talking about uh, the rock and roll path altering experience of Dylan going electric at the Newport Folk Festival in 1965. And it was just recently the anniversary, which is what got us thinking that, you know, we should talk about this landmark event in rock and roll history on the podcast because it was kind of like the culmination of so much and a filtration of so much into the mass mentality about music and what could be, would be popular. If you've been uh, following the blues and you've been following rock and roll music history, you're familiar with Highway 61 where Bessie Smith died in that horrible auto accident it was also where supposedly Robert Johnson made his deal with the devil. And there's so many other, you know, stories and so much other history behind Highway 61 that it becomes part of the legend. And it's obvious that these pioneers of rock and roll, these progenitors of rock and roll, all came from that area. You had people like Charlie Patton and Elvis and Sunhouse and Muddy Waters all near Highway 61. And all of those excellent songwriters influenced Bob Dylan. Right. A lot of people wonder how all this music gets done. How does it happen, right? And what we're kind of given a glimpse of is the variety of influences, the different things that come into play when a young artist starts pulling all that together and expressing it their own way. And that's what's happening with Bob. He's maturing a little bit. He's discovered that he likes playing with some electric rock and roll in the mix, right? Al Cooper and Mike Bloomfield got them all hooked up on that front. And what's happening by this point, and it really was happening on bringing it all back home as well, is Bob becoming a fully formed modern songwriter? John is in a basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on a pavement thinking about the government. The man in a trench coat, batch out laid off, says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look out, kid, it's something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. You better duck down the alleyway looking for a new friend. A man in a coonskin cap in a pig pen wants $11 bills. You only got 10. The songs, the themes, even the ones that are blues-based, like Tombstone, right? They're produced and arranged in ways that make them feel more contemporary. And do I have to brag on songs like It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry? Well, I ride on a mill train, babe Can't buy a thrill Well, I've been up on 
or the drama of Ballad of a Thin Man? Oh, my. But something is happening and you don't know what it is. Do you, Mr. Jones? I love Al Cooper's keyboards in the Ballad of the Thin Man. That's a song that my dad played for us as kids. And I remember those weird little organ riffs because they were dark, different. And that kind of alienated some people, but it attracted so many more. And the songwriting genius starts to emerge on themes like Queen Jane Approximately or the long form Desolation Row. They're selling postcards of the hanging. They're painting the passports brown. The beauty parlor is filled with sailors. The circus is in town. Here comes the blind commissioner They've got him in a trance One hand is tied to the tightrope walker The other is in his pants And the riot squad, they're restless They need somewhere to go As Lady and I Look out tonight from Desolation Road. Long-form songs would become part of Dylan's catalog all through the decades, even through to today, right? Yeah, he recently released a super long song. like Murder So Foul. Yep, like 16 minutes or something like that. So all of this is cooking in the pot, and the lid is boiling off the top, man. There's all kinds of people in the mix helping to augment all this. But what it gets around to is him and Bob Johnson, and later Tom Wilson, too, and some other people getting their hands involved because they need a lot of hands in those days to make these kind of records. And the musicians, well, he was lucky to have the cream of the crop right there. And Columbia, you know, they had connections, too, when they needed to get somebody. And it's all working for Bob Dylan and everybody in his universe. And this is all off the backside of uh, going back in the studio, finishing the album, and putting it out after having gone electric. You know, over time, the old school at Newport and Bob, they kind of made up, I think. They never really healed the rift, but they kind of did didn't turn into decades long oh yeah well so is your mom right <laughs> nope but it was time for those boot heels to be wandering and dylan had so many more amazing songs and directions to take and deliver for his fans and those two albums really are dylan gearing up for the mammoth double album the landmark blonde on blonde that would come out next and that hits stores right before his accident in Woodstock where he crashes his motorcycle and goes into seclusion for quite some time at the pinnacle in so many ways. Just after having gone electric and changed so much to have to deal with all that after just delivering so much incredible music on all sides of the sonic coin. Ah, the subject of Bob Dylan. We could go on all day. And, you know, if we had one of our friends who are Dylan Tolledge is with us, I'm sure that we would and could. 
And you know, maybe that's what we need to do, get some of our experts in here and help us to flesh out all the different parts of Bob's history that maybe we might not find without them. I mean, he's looking at 83, and we're hoping that he's with us for another 10, 20 years. For a young kid who was finding his way into rock and roll, all I can tell you is that what he did, the legend of him going electric at Newport that day in 1965, and everything that happened after that, all those songs before and after the crash and through the decades, for me personally, life isn't the same in this universe than we're hurtling through without Robert Allen Zimmerman. That's all I'm saying, man. We're very fortunate to have lived in the time of Bob Dylan, Robert Allen Zimmerman, because of the gift of song and the gift of music that he has shared with the world. And so many, like we've talked about a little bit in this episode, musicians have covered his songs. Jimi Hendrix taking All Along the Watchtower and making it his own. The live version he does of Like a Rolling Stone is just incredible as well. And I mentioned the Red Hot Chili Peppers Subterranean Homesick Blues cover, which is pretty wild as well during the 80s when Hillel Slovak was still alive and with the band. So lots of big Bob Dylan covers. And I've only seen Bob Dylan once live, and that was on the Tom Petty Bob Dylan tour when the Heartbreakers played behind him for a couple of sets. But he did a lot of just Bob Dylan music and then the Heartbreakers. Sure, I saw that too. Yeah, it's great. I'm glad that I got to see him at least once, and I would like to see him again one more time before he calls it quits. I did want to make a note about where we are in the Dylan history, right, in the timeline. Because, you know, it's on Blonde, on Blonde, that he starts working with a couple guys like uh, Rick Danko, you know, you might have heard of him, and a couple of the other guys, Robbie Robertson that are part of the band that would become part of his band in the next phase down the road, you know? Yep. And maybe that's what we need to do sometime. Just get one of our Dylanologists on here, break out Blonde on Blonde, go full Honey Badger on it, right? That would be fun. <laughs> I would love to yeah. talk about that album with somebody who's a Dylanologist. We know several. If you're listening to this episode, please be in touch. We know a bunch. Well, it's always good to talk about pretty much anything, Marcus, when we get together, but especially something that's historically significant, like Dylan going electric at Newport. Change, something we both believe in, for the good, for the better, is always possible if you keep yourself open to it. And we try to do that here on The Imbalance History, even when we suck. <laughs> or when we're wrong let's just say that oh we're wrong again okay uh, feel free to tell us that anytime you'd like at imbalancehistory at gmail.com on email it's the best way to get through to us social media sure you know where we are on Facebook we're on Instagram are we on the threads yet I don't know we're going to try again on threads and Twitter and uh, but never the TikTok never that TikTok oh, right, no TikTok and yes we are on threads now and until the next time that we crack the mics here in the Dark Doc Media Studios, I'm Ray Koob. I'm Marcus Goldman. And this has been Dylan Goes Electric on the imbalanced history of rock and roll.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 